0: strategic guide on how not to be an asshole at work. You'll learn about bad bosses, how they can be detected and handled, as well as how to tell if you happen to be one. Join an executive and an executive coach, both artists working in marketing and advertising from over two decades, who are here to offer you the ultimate guide on how to navigate any employment landscape. Here are your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson, and Stephanie Perollo
1: Welcome to the Bad Boss Brief. I am Stephanie Perollo.: I'm Eugenes Robinson. And we had a show planned for today, and we scrapped it. So we are going to do a show today called Grief at Work. Mm. Do you want to tell us why I thought it was a good idea to do this show this week?
2: Yeah, I got a call Tuesday from my sister that my father is dead but before you start extending condolences, know that he was a horrible father. so uh, so uh, i I don't have any confused feelings about his passing except to note that he's passed and this gave us the occasion to come up with well it, presumably, if you have a father who you actually love, what does that do to you know to to the workplace the workplace dynamic? Uh, and of course, I had the ultimate bad boss who suggested that if somebody you care about dies just send flowers and get back to your work.
1: <laughs> wow.
2: So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this came to a head right as we were about to have a weekend retreat, which were mandatory. Um, and you had, you, you were mandatory, yes, you had to attend them. And somebody had said my grandmother had died. And uh, he said, send flowers. I expect to see you at the meeting. And so in the breakaway session, this person was in my, an executive staffer, was in my breakout room and began sobbing. Um, So this is what I had to carry back to him in a private off-board session. uh, And his response was completely unsympathetic, unsurprisingly.
1: Well, and I think there's a, I mean, what seemed interesting to me is that there's a lot of ways in which grief impinges in the work world and many people who are not prepared in any way to deal with it. And so one of the things, and we are going to talk about, you wrote a really excellent substack. You want to say that the, we never talk about our substacks, although sometimes we'll have little uh, buttons. You want to say what your substack is?
2: It's called, uh, the substack in total is called, Look What You Made Me Do. And uh, before, it should be noted before Taylor Swift got to that same title and, uh, and, uh, which is hard to convince people of now, of course. And uh, the piece that, that you're referencing is called Father the final installment. <laughs> Which, <laughs> there's a lot of dark humor in it because you know uh, uh, we've talked once since I turned 20. Uh, for the record, I am 61, so that gives you a, a, an extent, uh, an idea of the extent of our the quality of our relationship. So, um, but yeah, that that that's where you can, where you can find it. And it was I kept thinking, oh, I'm going to write about Hamas because our topic was you know politics this week, and I. Uh, I would write about the situation in the Middle East, and then I he said, well, it's usually what obsesses me that week. And nothing I you know, give him that. I was obsessed with both the response to my response and the in general the response to grief and how people process it and what they expect to do with it. I mean, I, I, th- there were only two people I spoke to that I cared about couching what I was saying, and one was my sister who called me and told me. Um, so she's estranged from him as well, and has not seen him for 25 years. And my mother, who remembers a very different man, of course, this is a man she married and chose to have a child with, that's me. Um, and she was torn apart by it. So my sensitivity, my insensitivity had to be curbed in uh, dealing with my mother. And I was mindful of all of that when I was writing the piece. So it was a delicate needle to thread.
1: Well, and I thought it was—I thought it was amazing—and one of your one of you, a really very very strong piece. And I wrote something this summer about grief at work in my Substack, which is the Consigliera Papers, and um, kind of how to deal with grief at work because I think people do it really badly. But one of the things that I wanted to start start with is my mother died two years ago, and we were also <laughs> estranged. And you know, you don't hear a lot of social conversation or kind of cultural understanding of first. What it is like to be estranged from a parent mm-hmm. and second, what happens when that estranged parent is the one who dies right and right. so for me, I had had people my whole life would say to me I mean my whole life my, my adult life when I was estranged from my mom they would say, well what if she was on her deathbed would you go see her
2: huh.
1: And I was like like how how does that change all of the reasons yeah. that I don't you know, choose to stay with her. And I read something, I can't even remember where it was, but somebody saying that being estranged from a parent is not a decision that anyone makes lightly. Yep. Yep. It's difficult. And it's difficult in our culture where there's so much, especially for like, you know, your mother, your father, people can understand other sorts of family estrangements, but to really say, I choose not to have a relationship with a person who gave me life that there's got to be something significant there. There's got to be some difficulty.
2: I will. I will ask you this. When people tell me, uh, I'll meet friends, usually uh, male friends, and they'll. I say, oh, how's Sally? And he goes, oh, Sal and I, Sally and I broke up. And I go, who dumped who? It's a you know, it's not a genteel way to frame it. But and if the guy pauses, if he goes, ah, eh, I go, ah, oh, yeah, she dumped you. <laughs> if he answers right away, well, I had to make some adjustments, and I, I figure he initiated this. It's weird with parents, right? Because I think your agency, when you say, you know what, enough, is different than maybe, I mean, I'd i like to imagine maybe it's different for me with a phone, just stop ringing. <laughs> I spoke to him in July. Um, it's a little bit of a weird conversation. I said, I'm heading back to California now. So I'll be there, you know, I'll be there for my birthday. So just FYI. He's like, okay. And on my birthday, where it's customary to get a call from a parent, no call. I go, that's weird. Maybe I'll get a call this Thanksgiving. No call for Thanksgiving. Maybe I'll get a call for Christmas. No call for Christmas. I'm like, okay, well, you want to play it that way? Don't know what's done. Not concerned. But I've never tried to talk my way out of being dumped. Okay. And that's been my response. So. Um, I don't know how it, how it varies from, I imagine it would feel better to have some agency about it, <laughs> you know, like I've think, had enough of you, you're out, but you know, who knows? But I think
1: that there's, you know, like, cause in my circumstance, I felt like there was agency oh, and geez. that I was the one actually making the call, Right. but there was an agency in the reason that I made the call. Right. Mm-hmm. So for example, mm-hmm. like, you know my mother never treated me well. I actually, I don't think my other, my mother ever really liked me. She certainly never understood me. And so that caused her to interact with me in ways that were very unskillful. And so the, the genesis of it was her disconnection from me for whatever reason, right? right? Her disconnection from me, which was ultimately so painful that I Mm -hmm. had to say like, that's enough right yep. and yep. and but i think I think that wherever it comes from it's it's painful, and mm-hmm. I think what's interesting to me is you know how many people tried to talk me out of it, right yeah. like yep. she did the best yep. she could with what she had. I'm like, actually, no, she yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> demonstrably yeah. that was yeah. not what happened, or yeah. you know, like somehow assumed, especially when I was younger, it's like, well, you know, when you mature you'll understand. When you have children of your own, you'll understand. Uh, yeah.
2: And, and I, I had did. To deal, I, I, I had to deal with a lot of that Hallmark card after-school specialing, which is why I made reference to it twice in the Substack, because it was like, ah, well, I'm glad that worked for you, but I'm telling you, the rightest path I've chosen is the one I've chosen for this. Believe me. Oh.
1: Well, and also the idea that, like, I know how she treated me. I'm not trying to expose my children to that. A
2: hundred percent. Exactly. And your heart hardens... On the occasion of the, in my case, the birth of my first child, I was like, no way, no way. Not only if he felt a tenth about me, the way I feel about this kid, he wouldn't have done what he had done. Moreover, I'm not subjecting her to it. Not at all. Yep. Not at all. Yep. And
1: and I had a very similar experience when people had said, Well, you don't understand when you have kids. I had a kid, and I'm like, now I understand. It is inconceivable yeah. to me that yep. anyone who had felt like this for five minutes about a child yep. could then, you know. But I think yep. I think what's difficult to go back to the the grief at work thing is that. You know, when you mentioned a Hallmark movie, right, that mm-hmm. there is a there's a cultural understanding of what the grief experience looks like, mm-hmm. that bears mm-hmm. very little reality to the grief experience as it, as it certainly lived by me and most mm-hmm. of the people that I know. and mm-hmm. And there's this idea that, like, you are sad. You are very, very sad. Mm-hmm. And often grief doesn't come out as sadness. You know, right. for me, there was a lot of anger and i was exhausted mm-hmm. and it was really hard to sort of focus and you mm-hmm. know when i like i remember my when my dad died i was i was 19 and my dad and i were close and it was just devastating to me and he had been mm-hmm. he had been sick for a long time so it wasn't exactly a surprise but still i'm 19 mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and um uh, my mom took a lot of Valium and lay on the couch and so i was arranging the funeral and talking to the lawyers and doing the stuff that i was totally not equipped to do mm-hmm. and uh I remember going at the funeral, um, when my dad was buried, the, the, um, undertaker was a friend of the families who mm-hmm. i had never met, but he was like, you know, friends of at this point, there were other adults around helping. And, right. uh, I looked at his shoes and he was wearing really shiny patent leather shoes mm-hmm. and something about that set me off. Mm-hmm. And so instead of dealing with, I am now, you know, we are burying my father. Mm-hmm. I became enraged at this man. Yeah. And, you know, he was a very, he was a very sweet guy. And I don't remember what I said, but it was full on. It was me really, really angry. And I remember we were kind of stepped aside from the gravesite. I don't remember what I said. And he was very kind of generous about it. But, you know, I've seen that happen for me and that happened for other people. There's this
2: rage. What? Did did you give him a hard time about his shoes? Was that the the, the locus point of the anger, or did you? Was it just something? I else?
1: honestly don't remember.
2: Right, right.
1: Anything that I said, but I do right. remember bringing in the shoes as a sort of failed coup de gras. Like, and you're wearing paddle leather shoes.
2: <laughs> I got you. I got you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. right
1: yeah, right. it was. It was not good. But I think one of the challenges is that if you know to bring it back to like grief at work, like if mm-hmm. you if you are working with people or being managed by people who have an understanding that grief is going to be sadness Mm -hmm. that lasts for the duration of your bereavement leave, which is usually seven days and maybe a few days afterwards, then you're going to, the person who has had grief, who is experiencing Mm -hmm. grief is going to really probably struggle in that. And, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, what I would invite people to do, who are working with someone who is grieving Mm -hmm. is to let go of any hallmark notions that you have about what grief looks like. Right. Right. And if there is anger, if there's rage, if there's the confusion, if there's a lack of perspective, be mindful of that. And also Mm -hmm. let go of this notion that it is a short duration. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, it's never like I were one of the things that I, I have learned because I lost my dad when I was 19. Um, And I lost my son when he was 19. And Mm -hmm. those are pretty significant. Lose a parent young. And then, of course, losing a child is, you know, Mm -hmm. always Mm -hmm. horrible. Um, But what I realized is people would say to me, I would always ask when they had been, they had lost someone. And I'd be like, when did he die? And they'd Mm -hmm. say two years. And I'd be like, oh, so it just happened. Yeah, right. And there would be this every single bereaved person I've ever talked to where I've said that there's been this just moment of relaxation. Like, thank God, yeah. somebody who understands. Because, yeah. it's a, you know, especially if you're talking about someone who's in your immediate family, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, your spouse, yeah, yeah. if you're close to family members, siblings, parents, and certainly children. Yeah. That's that's one of the first things is that time becomes a different thing. And the, yeah. the American cultural clock on yeah. grief is yeah. really it's, I would say it's about three months,
2: don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. To, to match the, your maternity and paternity leave, which three months is a long maternity leave, by the way, <laughs> they give you typically be six weeks of ridiculousness. Um, but here I got, I got one for you. I got, uh, I got, and I'm, and I, this is sort of unfair to say, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm gonna you know scatter scatter my tracks so it's not incredibly clear who it is that I'm talking about by way of boss but I I, I believe there's a possibility I may have had a see I'm qualifying it because I don't want to be a complete uh-huh. ass about this but I think there was a boss who had weaponized the passing of a parent mm-hmm. to be an even worse boss <laughs> um, and it was uh, particularly tough for me because in this instance the parent that died in a weird turn of events the bosses parent that had passed was somebody I'd gotten close to. Mm-hmm. So it was weird to watch him in the workplace kind of weaponize this as an excuse for why he was being a horrible boss. And in actual fact, me trying to reconcile that with the fact that, that the person, the parent that had passed was a really wonderful human being who had generated a monster. So it was, it was a weird workplace padded with, with, with me in this, in this boss. Um, I mean, you know, again, again, I, I didn't was not interested in trying to qualify or understand the nature of how he approached grief, but I, I felt it to be somewhat disingenuous. That's um, interesting.
1: So, how do you weaponize? Tell me more about like, without you know, like protecting anonymity. Like, what kind of things does a person who is weaponizing grief do?
2: Um, acting out, acting out in in a way that was in keeping with how they had acted out, but was was sans any real attempt to control it. So if I'm angry with you and I'm like, listen, I just need you. Let's talk about this later. Okay. That's within the purview of what it is I've understood you to be like as a boss. But if you add to that, you know, I am sick of your bullshit. Get out of my office right now. We'll talk about this later. I'm going to, I swear to God, I'm going to hit you with something. (laughs) Okay. Okay. There's, there's a line that was crossed, and you know, and they both occur under the shadow, the penumbra of, of this loss of a parent. But there's a big difference between one and the other. Um,
1: yeah, and I think that's a good point because one of the things that in this this uh, substack that I did last summer, I was talking about things that people at work who are well intentioned can do. To mm-hmm. support somebody who's had a loss. I think as a grieving person, I mean, I went back to work, like, I don't know, a, couple, a week or so after my son died, because he'd mm-hmm. been, you know, um, having a lot of medical issues for a couple of years and I yeah. the money. Right. Yep. Um, and I went back to work and, you know, I felt like it was incumbent upon me to try to be as professional as I could. Yep. Right. And, yep. and. I do think that we have that responsibility, right? If we, and unfortunately a lot of people need to go right back to work. They can't afford to, they either, they don't have bereavement leave. They have medical bills from, you know, if if their loved one has been ill or they've taken time off of work. And so I do think it is incumbent upon those of Mm -hmm. us who are grieving to go back to work and to try to be as professional as we can take breaks. If you need to take a walk around the block, um, a friend of mine whose daughter died, teenage daughter died a few, like. Soon before my son did, he talked, he kind of gave me the bereaved parent 101, and he was Mm -hmm. an attorney. And Mm -hmm. he said, Learn how to cry in the car. Yeah, right. And he would do car cries where he would be going from, you know, meeting with a client, going to court, and he would cry in the car and try to like get it out of his system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the idea of trying to manage your grief as mm-hmm. well as you can, I do think is something, cause you're right. People can, that's an interesting point. People can weaponize grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you don't want to be that person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, I guess I feel like I've seen very few people weaponize grief and I've seen so many people just be mm-hmm. unskillful to the grieving. Uh,
2: yeah, 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 right? yeah. 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 I see what you're saying. Yep.
1: You know, and I guess a couple of other suggestions um, is you know, like just to go back to what I was just saying, to be mindful that with the healthcare system in this country, even people with insurance—in fact, um, for years, the majority of people who declare bankruptcy because mm-hmm. of medical bills have insurance.
2: Yeah. yeah right? So, so
1: people will sometimes people would say things like, "Well, why don't you take more time off?" I I can't afford, I can't afford to. Right. And, and so recognizing, and I think just being really careful about what you say to someone who has had a loss, right. Um, you know, one of my least favorite things is something that people uh, who purport to be spiritual say, Mm -hmm. which is something about God has a plan. He's in a better place, Uh, those kinds of uh, things. And I I happen to be a spiritual person. Keep that stuff to yourself. That is not helpful. Right. That's not helpful. Um, If you don't know what to say to somebody who's just lost somebody, say that. Mm. I don't Mm -hmm. know what to say. What can I do to support you?
2: You know, in my response to that, all all I need (laughs) to think, if I want a a filmic, cinematic take on that, the first five minutes of Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's version of it, when Gary Oldman, as Dracula gets back and finds out the love of his life has committed suicide and he wants to bury her and the priest goes, well. Can't bury her here. She's you know an apostate. She's you know this is she's a suicide. We can't you know this is a, God opposes her. <laughs> and old man as Dracula goes, you mean the God I was just fighting for? That guy? <laughs> and then he repudiates God in total. And so I always think I always think of that scene where people, that's oh, it's God's way or thoughts and prayers and stuff like that. I say, yeah, that's not helpful.
1: Yeah, it is not, not helpful to people who believe yeah. or don't believe. That's
2: not exactly. Helpful.
1: And then I think, you know, another thing is, you know, there's, I talk sometimes about people who are professionally aggrieved and it does seem like there's a lot of short fuses in the workplace and there's a lot of judgment about how people grieve. And mm. one of the really challenging areas where I've seen it is people who have a pregnancy loss. No, Like, and, and so the response often to someone who has lost a a pregnancy or, um, lost a, had a stillbirth or, or, you know, something like that is to just be like, oh, you can have another kid to really diminish it. Right. To, to Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. fully acknowledge that, like, we don't know what that experience is for that particular person. Right. She may have been trying to do IVF for 10 years. Yeah. Right. And, and this is her, the last try that she can, she and her partner can afford. And she yeah. just had a miscarriage at five months. You, you yeah. don't know. And I think trying to be mindful, you know, if someone's, if an elderly parent who's been ill dies, well, you know, it's a relief that he doesn't have to suffer anymore. Like mm-hmm. just like try to not judge, or if you are judging, yeah. do it, do it outside of the workplace.
2: Right. Right. Correct. Correct. No ham-handed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then I think I think the other one that that's particularly horrible is people who try to do kind of like one-upsmanship. You know that sort of narcissism, like oh well, when this, you know, when my parent died, da 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 da. You know, again, it's like it's it's okay if something isn't about you. You know, you can you can make space for a particular person to have whatever their
2: experience might be. Well, you know, and the undercurrent that, that I'm getting through this, and I'm starting to, of course, reference it to my personal experience. And the undercurrent that goes through this is that generally, uh, you know, I've I maintained like a, you know, a church and state distinction between personal and professional, you know, people I work with largely have had no idea about, you know, with, is he married? Is he going through a divorce? When did he go through the, that stuff? Is, it, it's not going to get me a raise. And therefore, the, the, the field of play for it is not the workplace. I'm not trying to. But that goes back to the CEO who told me, Eugene, I'm leaving this company. But if you want to succeed at the company, I'm leaving. I have one piece of advice for you. Talk to your workmates. And I was like, yeah, I do talk to them. She goes, not the way you talk to them. <laughs> Which is like, you, you need something, you talk to them, that you go back to, I said, it's one, I'm one guy. I got a staff of six people, put out a magazine. I can't be hanging around the water cooler. She goes, you should make time for it. Go, uh, yeah. So, you know, the opportunities for me to get personal have been few and far between. I mean- Yeah, Yeah, but I think, you know,
1: that's interesting because I hear – I mean, I'm – and I've generally been the same way. I mean, not maybe to that extreme, but I'm very – I'm selective, right? And part of the reason that I'm selective is that, like, it's not always – safe to be talking about what is going on in your life. Right. I mean, I was young when I had kids and we know I was working as a single mom with two little kids and none of the women that I work with had even had kids, right. Or they had infants. Right. And so to say, I have to leave and take somebody to the orthodontist, you know, to the orthodontist or I need to be at a T-ball. was like, wait, don't you have a husband? Oh, you're, you know, and so there was a lot of, there was a reason why I started to play the personal things kind of close to the vest. And yeah, That might be a generational thing, but it's interesting Mm -hmm. how many people are chastised now for that same thing. Like you need to be more vulnerable at work. You need Mm -hmm. to be more authentic, which a lot of times is read as, you know, and and particularly for people who are older, like what makes you think it's safe for me to be authentic at work?
2: Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) yeah.
1: You know, and so I think it's that idea of, what I would suggest is respect what it is that people have made a choice to do. Right. right? And that my desire to not say every single thing that's going on in my personal life doesn't mean that I don't want to be friendly with the people that I work with that I'm not, but it's, it's not, let's not make letting it all hang out, talking about every single thing become the litmus test of authenticity. Right,
2: Right, 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 right. No, I generally try to be convivial. I mean, I learned this from dealing with mafia guys and, and, and bad actors, very tough, humor. you know, what they want to see when they look across the room, they just want to see a guy who's, right, there's one, one mobster that I used to deal with, he, this guy loved me. And all I managed, to, he amused me. So all I managed, every time I saw him, I was kind of like, one, really happy to see him. And two, he just amused me. So he looks over and he sees this fairly, you know, genial presence. And I remember him saying at one point to people in the room that he, that he had terrified I love this guy. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm glad that he loves me. I, I'm sure he's been really terrible things in his life, but you know, he's just cracking me up. So, I mean, that's was me, my role in the workplace. I just tried to be a because gen- they don't know you. You know, they don't know I'm a blabbermouth. They don't know that I could just kind of be the kind of a quiet guy and kind of smile and you know, the general. You know, genial presence. I think I think that got me through, of course, the internet makes it difficult to maintain that facade. When people oh, is this you choking somebody? I go, well, yeah, he had it coming. But, but, but again, it, but but there's an general, agency yeah. with
1: that too. You coming, know, I mean, yeah, like I, yeah. you and I, will, I will write about things that are personal, but, but there's a whole bunch of stuff I never talk about. Right? Yeah, right. And I get to choose. Right. And right, I think, right. you know, particularly like Roxanne Gay has talked about this, this idea that, you know, someone who chooses an artist who chooses to make art that references <laughs> their trauma or to take mm-hmm. traumatic experiences and and somehow incorporate them. That doesn't mean that you get to know every other thing or that <laughs> right, you get right. to have access right. to that on demand. And I think right. it's the same. I think it's the same way. You know, I mean, there may be people who have, you know, who lose a loved one who don't choose to talk about it who don't yep. want to make a big deal. And I think the other thing that you did that was very skillful was you've said in in spoken conversations, as well as in your writing, this mm-hmm. happened, I don't need condolences. Really. You're, right. you're, so you, right. you're yeah. naming yeah. what it is that you need, right? Yep. And, I, and yep. I, remember, I remember right after um, my son died and I went right back to work, I was talking to a, a woman who I really respect, an older woman. And mm-hmm. she said, I'm sorry for your loss. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't like, don't, let's not talk about it. And she mm-hmm. said, Stephanie, you have to let people at least say that, yep. you know, and, yep. and I was like, yep. okay, okay. But that, that's all that they get to say. Right. Otherwise right. I get to have some sense of, of, you know, kind of choice or agency. So do you yeah. have, do you have a, a fire me or since we're just rolling? Uh, I, we
2: just I, roll? I do have, I do have, it's, it's not a fire me proper, but it's a fire. It's a, well, it is there are two and one is fire me adjacent and one is fire me. I have been on cloud number nine, if that's if that's the aphorism here, or either. Um, because what happened, I mean, if you're not into combat sports, this is all occult to you, but on Saturday night, Francis Ngannou, a Cameroonian uh, a combat athlete, um, who used to work in salt mines and illegally immigrated to France, was sleeping in dumpsters through French winters in order to nurse this idea of being a combat athlete eventually got to the, the ultimate fighting championship where he became the heavyweight champion of the world uh, would tried to negotiate a better deal uh, with Dana White, the CEO and friend of Donald Trump who then began denigrating this guy's efforts and fundamentally set him free, right? Just said go, 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 go. And began this kind of uh, campaign of uh, personal attack, dimin- uh, diminishing this guy's accomplishments. The guy won the, the UFC heavyweight championship, with a, a, a busted knee because he knew he would not be shown any favors on, on his exit. And his goal was, I want a box. And he got a partner in the heavyweight champion of the world, Tyson, uh, uh, Tyson Fury. And they fought this weekend. He lost by a very close decision, but in the third round, he knocked out, he knocked down Tyson Fury and boxing. They give you a 10 count. Now the boxing world, the boxing world without a glimmer, a glimmer of, there was no joking when they said what I'm about to say that they said. They described what happened Saturday night as Boxing's 9-11. Like, they are completely beside themselves and upset that this guy who had a record of zero and zero came in and knocked out the, the heavyweight, the lineal heavyweight champion of the world, right? Knocked him down. Didn't knock him out the third round. And w- the best part about this is that everybody now has swung back around to Dana White, who didn't make the decision to make this deal? Now Dana White has been who works now for Ari Emanuel, the head of Endeavor, which used to be William Morris. Uh, Ari Emanuel just bought WWE, which is Worldwide Wrestling Entertainment. Um, and Dana White is subordinate to uh, to 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 uh, Vince McMahon, and we've been able to see a steadfast record of failure. Over the past 10 months, not only did he he bobble this fight that made at least 65 million euros for Tyson Fury and probably very close to that for for, um, for Francis, Francis Ngannou, but all of the ancillaries as well as now this guy's a legitimate boxer. I mean, the UFC has lost this past weekend millions upon millions and millions of dollars as well as future opportunities as well as the main fight that they were gonna anchor the end of the year uh, uh, numbers to was John Jones and Steve Miocic. And that fight because of an injury is off. So it's like Peter Principal in action. The guy, ha- he's only had the appearance of making right decisions. I know a little bit more, so it's wonderful in the fi- spirit of fire me to see this kind of comeuppance, right? I mean, it's like Horatio Alger story, any story that you want to reference to have somebody blow it that big and that majorly, and the guy who has never seen a microphone that he doesn't like has been eerily silent since Saturday night. <laughs> so that's a wonderful, fun one. To the other one is situational, and that's we've seen. Like I, I'm ensconced here between Meta, uh, uh, Google. Amazon over here and these and Salesforce up this way, they've been really adept at terrifying their workers into going back, right? Roblox recently said, if you do not return to your desk by spring of 2024, you will no longer have a job at Roblox. Of course, they've sowed discord and confusion because they haven't said who, because some people still get the old system of working from home, but some have to come back to their desk. Unclear how that's going to play out. So the real story of, the, of the, this is on the roads, you can tell. And I've been able to track based on my comings and goings. And I think people are responding. They are returning to the office. But rush hour now starts here at 2.33, which means to my, I spy with my little eye, people are cutting side deals and pushing for flex time. I'm basing this, my day begins at 6 a.m. with jujitsu. But I know when I'm looking at 2.30 traffic jams that these are people on flex time. They're leaving work because they've been at work since 6 o'clock, 6.30 in the morning. And I see them going to jujitsu, and I see them when I'm doing other stuff during the day. So it's interesting that these companies think that they've effectively scared people back to work. People are fighting tooth and nail for what they got during the shutdown. And what they got during the shutdown was some proof that Flexibility works. The job was getting done. You don't need to see me sitting there at that desk unless it's some kind of hand on the rock control thing. So these are two, like I said, one was a fire me proper and one's fire me adjacent. Yeah. That's all I got.
1: Which is interesting. All right. Well, that's what we've got time for. If you have any questions or suggestions or things you would like us to cover on Sub Rosa, which is our little advice podcast, uh, get in touch at WTF at badbossbrief.com. That's WTF at badbossbrief.com. Talk soon. Thanks.
2: Adios.
0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Bad Boss Brief Podcast with your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. You can check out more of their work by visiting consigliera.substack.com for Stephanie and Eugene Srobinson.substack.com for Eugene. You can also find Eugene at MrSleep3, that's number three, on Instagram. Reach out with your questions, concerns, work case situations, or suggestions to us at WTF at badbossgrief.com. We personally answer every submission. Be sure to join us at badbossbrief.substack.com every other Wednesday for episodes of Bad Boss Brief and every single week for our Sub Rosa shorts so you can gain further insights into your workplace environments. Until next time, don't be an asshole at work.